As we just heard, today is the first Sunday in Lent, a penitential season of 40 days prior to Easter, of which Sundays are not a part, which is why the Sundays between Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent, and Easter are in Lent rather than of Lent. And here we are, four days into our journey to the cross in Jesus' footsteps, as related in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is noted for its brevity and its pace, moving from episode to episode quickly, often with no more transition than the Greek word chi, which means and. In today's Gospel lesson, for example, though you wouldn't know it from reading our NRSV translation into English, every verse begins with chi. In Mark, the chi's propel us through Jesus' life. They keep us moving. And Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized in the Jordan. And he came up out of the water. The heavens were torn apart. And the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven. It makes you wonder whether you're reading the Bible or James Joyce. But that last question only lasts a moment because Mark has an economy of words that Joyce most certainly does not. It's like Mark had a series of episodes about Jesus to relate and he strung them together with ties. No segues, no dovetailing, just tie. Which means that everything happens fast. As soon as Jesus arrives, John plunges him into the Jordan. Then up from the water, the heavens are sundered, and the Spirit descends. Then a voice from heaven, and the Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he is tempted. It all happens so fast. One minute he's at home in Nazareth, the next he's in the Jordan in Judea. One minute he's underwater, the next he's coming up out of it. One minute he's in a river, the next he's in the desert. One minute he's called a beloved son in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the next he's being tempted by Satan. Then angels wait on him. Then he's back in Galilee preaching. If I were to give the Gospel of Mark a subtitle, it might be, No Warning. It's one of the reasons the Gospel of Mark draws us in. It's raw and it's real. No fancy touches or editorial refinements. And that's how our lives are sometimes. One minute things are going splendidly, then suddenly a nosedive. Last Sunday, we were on a mountaintop seeing Jesus' glory revealed to Peter, James, and John. Today, we're staring down the long road of Lent. For our sake, Jesus went through what we go through, and much worse. Jesus has walked our wilderness roads. He has endured our temptations, and he has not left us to face them alone. As we heard two weeks ago from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, 
yet without sin. Let us therefore, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And let us not forget the blessings either, which far outnumber our hardships. The last time we heard these readings, we were in the midst of a pandemic and largely isolated from one another. COVID vaccines were being rolled out, but were still unavailable to most of us. Things have vastly improved since then, for which we thank God. I imagine that Noah and his family had been ready to get off the ark long before it came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. They too had a long road of hardship, isolation, boredom, and substandard sanitation before the rainbow came out. But come out, it did and with a promise that God would never again strike down every living creature in a flood. We hear in our second lesson from 1 Peter 3 that the flood prefigures baptism. How, we wonder, can something destructive like flood water be likened to something salvific like the water of holy baptism? As we heard from Romans 6 on Ash Wednesday, baptism is a kind of death, a drowning of the old Adam, which is our sinful nature, within us, and rising to new life in Christ. In Jesus' death, God turned death against itself. So too does God use the floodwaters of baptism to destroy the old Adam in us and to adopt and save us as members of his own family. That means that there is hope for sinners like us, that our repentance is not in vain. God can cleanse even thoroughly sin-infested people like ourselves. He can, in the words of Psalm 51, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. He will purge us with hyssop and we shall be clean. He will wash us and we shall be whiter than snow. God can and will create in us a clean heart and renew in us a right spirit. He will restore to us the joy of our salvation and uphold us with a willing and free spirit. With God, all things are possible, even a clear conscience for sinners like us. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, and he will purify us and refine us like gold and silver. For God knows the way that we take, and when he has tried us, we, like Job, shall come forth as gold. Not because of our good behavior, not because of our virtue, but for the sake of his Son, in whose death our sins were put to death, and in whose death we are baptized and made righteous, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for not giving up on such soiled children as we. 
Thanks be to God that we can be made clean and that in the floodwaters of holy baptism, God does just that. Thanks be to God that we don't have to spend our time trying to cleanse ourselves like Macbeth or atone for our own sin, knowing that in Jesus, God has done it for us. But instead, we can turn our attention to helping our neighbor in need, knowing that we are forgiven and free. Baptism does not give us a get-out-of-life-free pass. It does not mean that we will not find ourselves in a spiritual wilderness. It didn't for Jesus, and it doesn't for us. It does mean that God has been there already, that he walks with us and before us, and for Jesus' sake does not count against us our many fumbles, face plants, and failure to live up to his expectations of his children. Instead, he washes them away in a flood and embraces us, glad to have us home once more.